Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Big Questions with Big John. I'm your host, as you can guess, Big John. And with me today is another one of the fantasy industry's uh, original OGs. Is that being repetitive? I'm not sure. I'm not familiar <laughs> with the lingo. But uh, everyone, this is Jeffrey Camus. He's uh, from back in the day, certainly heard of his name, uh, the founder of the iconic DrStats.com, DocStats.com website. Uh, and, you know, for a fantasy analyst like myself, uh, having a site where you could go to where you had a database full of numbers at, at the ready, uh, to me, that was always something. So uh, everyone, welcome Jeff to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And it was just a, it was when I got your email, I just laughed because I told my kids, I said, this guy called me an OG. And they were like, dad, that's great. You know, because my kids are still new to this. And they, right. they're the reason I actually started that business because I really wanted to have a home-based business. And that's how sure. it started. I was working for a law firm and I wanted to start a fantasy sports business because I loved it. And I literally, we were talking before your show, I was sending out paper newsletters in the, <laughs> in the mail, you know, like yeah. where the date, it was so dated by the time people got it. Right. But that was yeah. the best news we had in those days. And I was right. sending out these, these newsletters and league information. And I ran some leagues at the beginning and it was funny. I, I thought it was going to be, I would run leagues, which I mm -hmm. wanted to do because I was in like the original stats inks, inks sure. leagues and they were great you know, the Bill James baseball and all those. Right. And then what happened was, is, you know, when we started making the break online, people wanted the news. So I started creating the news magazine and I was never, I mean, we had a bunch of, I don't know if you remember the days back then, but we, there were a bunch of companies that failed because they were going to go straight advertisement. And right. that became like the, the main, main way to go. And, but we always went just with subscription model, no ads. And that was great because we knew we had built our base. But a lot of ad, a lot of companies failed when they went with the straight um, ad model, and it actually now it's more of a hybrid, right? So most people yeah. have subscription plus advertising. But in those days, it, people were still figuring it out. I remember calling Yahoo because I wanted to get a fa fantasy baseball mm. um, banner, like the, the the big banner. In those <laughs> days, you could actually get someone at Yahoo to talk to you on the phone. Right, and, right. And Yahoo was the this is before Google. This was like. At that time, web crawler was big and Yahoo and the other ones that have all Lycos and all those other ones. Well, we Yahoo, people don't remember. Yahoo was a handcrafted index. So right. you had to convince an editor at Yahoo, you yes. know, for all the for all the grief people give Facebook now and Google about potentially messing with algorithms to favor one site or another. Um, back in that day, I remember when I had sports grumblings and gridiron grumblings. Mm -hmm. Um you had to impress someone at Yahoo or Webcrawler or right. Ask Jeeves or any of those things. And I remember like one of the greatest things you ever uh, joys you had was when you got an email from an editor at Yahoo and said, you know, we want to include you in our directory. Is it OK? You you're know, right. you would say, sure. And then you'd see your traffic. So uh, I, you're right. Those were those were halcyon. I mean, uh, to your point, uh, you guys went with the subscription model uh, right from the right. get go. Um, right. And I know um, certainly some other high profile companies chose that model as well. Like I know the Wall Street Journal never, ever uh, even toyed with the idea of adverti uh, an advertiser based model. They went straight to subscription because they knew what their content was worth. Right. Uh, I have to admit at my company in those days, we went with the blended model from the get go. So we had that's actually that, that actually worked out great as long as you didn't overdo the ads. Right. Because people exactly. Didn't appreciate the ads. If you get one banner ad, maybe one on the side, you were probably okay. Well, for subs would... yeah, for subscribers, we took off the advertising. So oh, once, I see. You, once you once you paid, you had everything ad free. 
Um, and you had access to um, certain other benefits. Like we had a partnership with Harris Publication. So you got their magazine like for half price if you were a subscriber of our yeah, site. Yeah, that was but, good. Yeah, but um, I, I love this conversation, but let me- Wait, let me tell you, let me finish yeah, this later. Please, I remember please. calling, yeah, yeah. we had changed in that day, in those days we were expanding so fast. And we're trying to figure out where to go. And this is like the days of the Informix database where mm. you actually had to send a file thing in to update the database and every field had to, because you couldn't touch a field. Like now you can go on a server sure. and work right in a SQL database. In those days, you had to like send a command line script to go to the server to edit the field. It was such a pain in the butt. Informix, it, it was really difficult to operate, but that's what right. we had our original database. It was actually... We went from the flat file database, which, which is what a database really is, but it literally was flat files generated mm. off a batch program where you'd have, if there were 1,300 baseball guys, you'd have 1,300 flat files that were right, updated right. every day. And that was the, the origin. I mean, we, we really, I, I kind of promoted this, and I think we were one of the first. I would say we were the one of the first to have an actual database site you know, where it wasn't, you know, we had a lot of competitors that would throw up like a PDF or a gigantic. Right. There was one company, I can't remember the guy, he had the greatest information, but it was like a 140 page PDF. <laughs> he was good though. I mean, I, I would read his because I want to see if, if I missed something, if he sure. had something on me. I can't remember the name of the company. He did, he did really well. I thought he was a really good reporter and was really uh, a great writer. And I can't remember, but it was funny because the format was like this 140 page PDF that he'd generate every week. And I was just thinking as I was getting ready for this show, I was thinking about how I do not miss writing 300 <laughs> player evaluations all day on Wednesday or Tuesday before the oh. NFL weekend. Because we would oh, do, yeah. one of the things we touted was we would write custom matchups. So we would sure. write an evaluation for each player. And I know you worked in this, and this is my other favorite story. I know you worked in the finance business too. Yes. And I tell people in the finance business, I'll tell you people... They understand the market, but I, I would get so much more terse emails if I told somebody to sit Randy Moss one weekend <laughs> than if I, you know, if there's a bad day in the market, you, you hear way more from people in their fantasy sports teams than I do in the marketplace. It's just ironic and it's hilarious. Isn't it crazy? I, um, and, and actually, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation with you, because we have very similar backgrounds, if not slightly inverted, right? So right. Um, I started on Wall Street and migrated to fantasy sports. Right there, you uh, go. And I think you may have started in fantasy sports and, and migrated to the street because right now, you you basically run a hedge fund, do you not, or or an ETF? We run a, right? So what I'm doing now is so I started with Doctor Stats Fantasy. It was the first business that I ran on my own. I was I love baseball. I played baseball many years until I got mm. hurt my shoulder. I wanted to be involved. I love the analytics of baseball because. When you do something 550 times, there's a pattern. And right. that's really what the stock market is. It's really identifying patterns and, and seeing it. So what I do is I run an advisory. I have an advisory of uh, private wealth clients of about 130, but I also have a fund that's traded on NASDAQ. Mm. And so what I'm running right now is, and it's again, it goes back to our sweet spot, which is sports betting and gambling. And it's called iBed. And we have, for your fantasy sports people that are listening, you know, we have those stocks in there like DraftKings and we have... FanDuel via Flutter. And I do believe at some point, no one really wants to do an IPO with the market right now, but FanDuel at some point will probably go, will go public on its right, own probably, uh, yeah. aside from Flutter. But we do have those types of stocks in it, as well as like a lot of the large casinos, MGM, Caesars, Las Vegas Sands are in it as well. And, and a lot of the ones actually that uh, most people in the US do, don't even understand, like Bettison, Flutter, which is actually London-based, and a lot of the ones that are in Australia. But yeah, it's a global fund of sports betting and gambling stocks. And as I'm sure your listeners know, we're 34 legal states right now in the U.S. 
the big ones still to fall, California, Texas, and Florida. California has a ballot initiative in November, mm. Texas and Florida. Texas will probably be last. Florida has some Indian reservation kind of things they're trying to overcome, but they're coming because you know they want the tax revenue and yeah. it's large and they don't want to see it going next door. You know, New York for three years or two and a half years saw New Jersey getting the money and they're like, well, why isn't, you know, why aren't we getting the money? New York's first month open, which was in you know December, January, towards the playoffs of the NFL, they right. did a billion in handles their first month. I, I, I mean, I always knew that would, I'm, I live in New York, so I always knew that would happen the second it, it uh, got out of the legislature. And yeah, that billion number in the first weekend was yeah. just, just incredible because you would see people driving over the George Washington Bridge with mm -hmm. their apps to get to the other side of the bridge, which for a lot of people may have been a five minute drive, just to <laughs> geolocate in New Jersey in right. order to do their sports bets for the weekend and then drive back home. Literally, it was just That's, a round trip. It makes sense. Yeah. And um, you're right. Now, I mean, look, politically uh, or philosophically, rather, I'm, I'm a libertarian. So I think there's no such thing as a vice crime. You know, if, if you're not hurting anybody, I think gambling should be legal. I have absolutely no qualms with it. So uh, the fact that we're still prohibiting it was always um, off-putting to me. Uh, I agree. I, and you, you know, what's funny is we're old enough and we've been in this industry long enough to know that at one time, Sports Illustrated never covered fantasy sports. Right. You know, none of these, Major League Baseball didn't even have it. Yes. You know, the NFL didn't cover it because they didn't, they, they didn't know really how to decipher if it was legal or if it was illegal. They didn't touch it for years. I mean, we were, we were doing it. It's hard to explain this to somebody, but in the late nineties, in the late nineties, you didn't even see, sorry about that. In the late nineties, okay. you didn't even see these publications covering it. Mm, that's true. You know, and so it took them a while to even make it acceptable or to adapt to using it. Visa, visa button. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, you know, it's actually funny because even today on, say, uh, NFL broadcast, the broadcasters are so accustomed to not mentioning anything to do with the spread or the line. Like, occasionally they'll say, well, that meaningless field goal uh, is good at the end of this game. Well, meaningless to some, but we won't say to whom it is meaningful or something to that effect because he used to say it monday night football with like alan michaels time, he used to joke yeah. about that all the time you go yeah. well that meant something to somebody you right know, or, right right or he would they would always bring that up and then and nowadays nonsense, you see yeah. it all the time yeah they're encouraging it the, yes. the they're talking about the bets they may have made or where they're at and look at to me this is really fascinating to me is that fox now they have fox bet they started the usfl to promote gambling basically yeah you know, that was the whole, that's the whole point of having it. I think they got the timing wrong on this. And I don't know if they can, I'm sure that they have to promise to those guys to be a showcase, but I think that their timing really now we're in the vacuum, right? This is the vacuum of sports right now. Cause you have baseball, right. but you ended NBA and you have the end of the NHL series season. And we're, we're still, you know, we're still really NFL gets hot. You right around August, you're going to start getting some more college football going. Right. NFL doesn't really get hot till late August, but this is the vacuum. I think it should be pushed back. As I looked at that, I think I'd be more interested in it if it started um, maybe a month later, but I think there's probably a timeline to be able to showcase those guys coming in NFL camps, but why even have the laugh? Cause I know they're under their championship weeks, these next two weeks. Right. So I think maybe push that back another three or four weeks to get into this vacuum. Cause I think right now, they'll probably do their best ratings because people are looking for stuff. And it's also the allure of, of playoffs, regardless of 
the status of the league. So I think you're right. Um, but it's tricky because uh, I've had this conversation with several folks, you know, it's uh, the NFL is in essence a monopolistic trade. I mean, not not <laughs> legally, but obviously functionally. So yeah, go ask Donald Trump when he got right. his one dollar. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Uh, trebled, I believe, to three dollars right. at the time. Um, but I, I think the way you survive is either or the only chance for survival if you're an upstart uh, league is something like what fan controlled football is doing, like with all these weird like we're playing indoors, <laughs> we're playing on half, you know, make it, you know, with flaming pits in the middle and shark pits that you have to run over, whatever, you know, it has to be something either so um absurdly wild so as to catch the right. imagination of fans that's the one way i think you might have success the other way would be to just just to become an official farm system of the nfl where just like you have the minor leagues in baseball and you could make a career at one point being a minor leaguer in baseball um maybe have like these um, minor leagues of, of the NFL, you know, not a developmental league necessarily, but something that has its own season, maybe say a six game season, an eight game season. Uh, the players there uh, understand that they have an opportunity to showcase for the NFL, perhaps set it up like baseball where each NFL franchise has its, um, its own uh, minor league franchise uh, affiliated with it. That might be the only way because um, like you said, the USFL, one thing I see, there's no real home team attraction, right? They're cold. Yeah, there's no, if you look at the stands, the stands are like, it's COVID still. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and it's also a neutral stadium. For yeah. every game, it's a neutral stadium. So when you look at that, um, how how are you going to thrive? Where's the fan loyalty going to come from? It's but name you know, only. You know what, though? I would say, let me, let me throw one thing back at you, though, because sure. I was, we're at the era, too, where we watched the USFL. And, and don't forget, we want to see the best. And let's go back to what the USFL was. There were great players in the USFL oh, when it sure. was first formed. I mean, you talk about the legends. I mean, uh, Jim Kelly was in the USFL. Jim Kelly, Herschel you know, Walker. Steve Young. Steve Herschel Young. Walker. There uh, were a Reggie lot White. of guys. Reggie White. Was yeah, the yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot of guys. And um, one of the others off that Buffalo team, was Bruce Smith on that? I don't recall if Bruce Smith was in the USFL or not, um, but I remember the big names like uh, Jim Kelly, Steve Young uh, was with the LA Express. You had Reggie White uh, with Memphis. You had, uh, uh, oh, Doug right. Flutie. Doug Flutie was a quarterback yeah. for the Generals, and you still had Herschel Walker and guys like that. Craziest um, thing ever in the USFL. The very first year, the, the Chicago had a team called the Blitz. They were in the mm -hmm. finals. They lost to the New Jersey Generals, I think. And and the next year they had, they had that crazy, that coach, they had, I think George Allen was the coach. I don't and, recall. Yeah. Okay. But they traded the entire team to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how crazy that league was. Yeah. That's like old ABA basketball or something. Sure. But, but in all actuality, isn't that similar a lot to the uh, early days of the AFL when it first tried to compete with the NFL? They where, traded you the know, whole team. Yeah. Basically like another you trade the whole team or you just, you know, <laughs> didn't the Texans become the Titans or something like that? Uh, the, New yeah. the New York Titans back then who but, became the Jets eventually. But, but yeah. we watched that more because the players were elite. Well, you were competing uh, for draft picks, you mm -hmm. know, like it was a big deal who signed Joe Namath. It right. was a big deal uh, whether or not Pete Gogolak switched teams. A place kicker went from the NFL to the AFL because they considered that a uh, – I'm sorry, it went, he went from the AFL to the NFL, and that was considered a raid. It drove Al Davis crazy. Yeah. Um, you don't have that because I think players understand their real cash money is going to come with the NFL. For, yeah, for a lot know, of yeah, different reasons, You know what right? the interesting thing is, and, that, and that's where the, the job of that league is going to be telling the stories. 
is um, um, Brian Billick one time used a great word. I actually had to go look it up. It's an obvious word, but he used to talk about how the league was replete with misunderstanding of players' abilities. Hmm. And it was replete with making mistakes on evaluations of players. And so there's guys, there's guys in that league who probably can play in right. a certain system, use the proper way. Because we see NFL coaches all the time. I, I think NFL coaches, by the way, pff, there's some that are amazing, but there's some that just don't understand. You know, that I remember when Martz took the Bears over and their first draft pick was, uh, was, was Olsen, who was a great tight end. But I'm thinking, why are you drafting uh, Greg Olson for your new wide receiver system, playing on a slow field in Chicago? Right. And then you had, I think Rex Grossman led the league in quarterback sacks that year with like 70, or was it Jay Keller? I can't remember who was there, but I think it was Grossman. Yeah. But he got sacked like 70 times that year. It was incredible because he would have them take these long seven-step drops. They didn't have the line because they didn't have Orlando pace. You know, yeah. and they didn't have yeah. the quick speed that the wide receivers. But, you know, a guy running the same system for a different team with different, you know, talent. You see that in the NFL all the time and it never. Right. And it, it doesn't cease. And that's that's our experience from writing and analyzing because we're always looking to see, you know, that was the fun to me of figuring out the puzzle. Sure. You know, you don't get to see it, but how is this player going to fit in? You know, right. I made the argument one time that although he's considered one of the greatest running backs ever, Barry Sanders, that he actually would hurt his offense a lot because he would sit there and wait for that home run. And you'd see him, their team would be in third and 13s all the time. I remember Scott Mitchell dropping back third and 13 again, you know, looking for uh, more, one of those guys. But I, I always made the argument that, that he, although he was amazing, don't get me wrong. I think he right, was one right. of the most special blowout breakaway backs there ever was, but they ended up in a lot of third and 13s with, with, uh, with Barry Sanders, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't constantly, you know, just go for the three yard up the middle or the four yard up the middle. Yeah. He was always looking for the big play. And he, and I think he was always among the leaders in um, negative rushing attempts uh, where he ended sure. up with negative yardage, but um, you're right. I mean, it takes a lot. Look, uh, would Jim Kelly have been as effective in a non run, run and shoot a non mouse Davis type of offense, who knows, right? I mean, maybe yes, maybe no, but I see what you're saying because uh, also you have to consider people who were injured in college, people who had the character tag put on right. them either rightfully or wrongfully. Uh, you know, those, those guys, yes, this is a second opportunity for them. The, the likes of the USFL and I guess even the XFL, uh, there's Kurt Warner's there's Kurt Warner's out there, oh, right? Sure. Kurt Warner's the perfect example. Kurt Warner. You know, he's um, out there. I mean, for sure. I mean, there are guys out there. I, that, that Kurt Warner story is amazing. It really is amazing. You know, absolutely. and I, everything yeah. I've heard about that guy, I, that guy is, a, you know, that's a guy is, is a beloved guy for a reason. He seems like the greatest guy. I know that when, uh, when I got divorced, my kids moved to Arizona and they were out one time, they heard the story about Kurt Warner would just randomly go and buy a family's dinners when he would be out appreciative of what he got he comes off that way you've never heard a bad thing about kurt warner i don't think you ever will hmm. and, but he deserves it he's righteous and and i think that story is out there and i think that brian billick word about a player evaluation replete with mistakes these teams make mistakes all the time you know they're looking for a certain thing in their offense they can't take the chance because they don't want to get fired there's a million right. reasons why coaches make won't take chances on players well they won't take chances and then when they do um, a lot of them think that the player has to adapt to them. Like a, a good case study for me is when the Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson and, mm -hmm. and they said, okay, we're not going to try to make him a pocket passer. We're not going to even try to make him um, a scrambling passer. We're going to build our offense around Lamar Jackson. That means we have to get backup quarterbacks that mimic Lamar Jackson. That's why they went and got Robert uh, Griffith, right? So Rob Griffith rather. So, um, 
that was the right way of doing it. They said, okay, we're, we're investing in this kid. We love his talent. We're going to build the offense for him. Uh, it's like that old adage, if a student isn't learning, you don't blame the student, you blame the teacher. The teacher has to teach in a way that the student can learn, right? Of so, course, because I think the great coaches, like I think um, you'll see Andy Reid adapt to the guys that he has. You know, these great coaches do not go in. My ex-wife, her father was a college basketball coach. He used to coach USF in San Francisco mm -hmm. in the 70s when they had Cartwright, Boynes, and Hardy, and they were number one in the country. Sure. And I went later and I lived, when I started Dr. Stats, I was living in San Francisco, but I, we lived to raise our kids in Oregon. So we used to go watch the teams play all the time. And they, he coached at um, Lewis and Clark in Lake Oswego, which is it's sort of like a uh, Ivy League school of the, of, the, of the West Coast, you know, okay. not quite a Harvard, but it's highly, uh, you know, acclaimed for academics. And they would get kids all the time. They were NAIA Division II, I think. They would get kids all the time different. You know, sometimes they get a big guy and they play a little bit different. But he would constantly be changing his team right. and winning because he would change based on what he had, not because he had a system. Right. His system was to not have a system, was to adjust to his players. And I think that's what, you know, today I saw a debate on Fox about, you know, who's a better coach. Is, is Belichick a better coach or would Andy Reid be the better coach under new rules, which I think is a really good question because, yes. because you know, this is such an offensive – football is so offensive now. If you can't score, you know, look at, look at that game last year, Kansas City and Buffalo, where they had four oh. touchdowns in 20 – like under a minute or whatever yeah it was. yeah it was it was crazy it was in the in the conference finals yeah it was it was uh semifinal yeah it was crazy you're right uh but you're right not understanding the rules is going to be your greatest flaw it's just like in any fantasy football league if you don't understand <laughs> what right. rules you're operating under how can you possibly be expected to succeed and in in today's football for better or for worse is not geared to favor defense at all um, i know but you know we could i was thinking we'd have like an hour conversation john about where to draft your kicker <laughs> <laughs> oh please i've written enough articles that said if you waste anything then your last pick you're, you're i know you know what's funny is i wrote that article i have this article still in my database of articles mm -hmm. i wrote it was the one i put up every year we were like oh same article and all i would do it was the same article because it, it always made sense i said yeah the variance between the 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 10th best kicker or the eighth best kicker and the last kicker is so small and you being identified that hot kicker on the offense that can't just score enough and is going to kick a shitload of field goals, you you never you can't you can't figure it out. There's right, no point. Right. You can't predict it. And I I did the same type of article. I think we all did at some point. But yeah. what was interesting is I said, okay, uh, like the 12th ranked kicker will still be like 87 percent of the value of the top ranked kicker. Right. So so why bother trying to figure out that difference, which amounts to like two points a game? But furthermore, if you looked at any running five year period. I think I said no kicker appeared in the top 10 two consecutive years. Yeah, so that was, the other, do, that was the other thing. Did you ever do like dollar values for NFL guys? I tried to at one point, um, but I gave up on it because, uh, which I shouldn't have, but back then DFS wasn't as popular. So you right. didn't have auction leagues with that sort of thing. So I did it and that morphed into what I called my fantasy forecast ranking system which assigned a numerical value, but it might as well have been a dollar value. I could have dollar, uh, I could have just round, um, curved it to any dollar value, salary value I, I wanted. But uh, yeah, that was a good way of normalizing performance across positions. And right, then just trying to, to see, come to get, yeah. you know, and we had that built into one of our spreadsheets. I didn't always like it because I always wanted the spreadsheet with notes, mm. you know, where you could have like, you know, you'd list the guys and then have like the latest thing, why is there, you know, because right. 
it was it was so easy to get like uh, trigger happy on those projections because it'd be like the spreadsheet would update based on the projections and it was easy to go up and down on guys based on what happened and then you'd be looking and you were like I, it was I, so interesting doing those valuations that was a lot of fun i used to love and baseball was totally different i don't know if you did right. any baseball john but did you do I did it only after the advent of personal computers where I yeah. didn't have to do them by hand. So I would write algorithms that did them. But um, my love of baseball, I'll be honest with you, disappeared after the uh, 88 strike. And I, so I, did. And by the way, so did the value in running. You know, when we had the, the last year, I would tell you whatever you did in baseball as an as a as a business person in this right. industry, you would do four to five to six X in football. It wasn't even close. Yes. You know, it, you just could not produce. You would not be able to, you didn't have, it's just for whatever, football just seems so much more easy for the person to understand, to get the weekly picks in. How do you, what do you see in DFS right now? Um, I think DFS has gotten to the point where I, I'm not sure if it's gone the way of technical trading and day trading in the sense that. Uh, now it's dominated by guys who will set up literally thousands of accounts. They have their computer algorithms generating the top permutations so that at any given point for an individual to put in a ticket or two and win is becoming next to impossible. So I think you're better off going with sports betting as opposed to DFS, in my opinion. Uh, or just stick to your traditional fantasy leagues with a prize, you know, let's talk a little bit. I do another show called the weekly wager. Cause I have a guy who, okay. this is a great show. I have a, um, so if you remember the movie casino, my host yes. actually was friends with the lefty character. Oh, you know, they, they used to it, go to, yeah. he was working at a restaurant, the lefty Rosenthal character retired in like the Del Mar San Diego area. And at the, at the end of his career, you know, he was famed for only betting on certain things. He wouldn't mm. bet every single game. He wouldn't right. bet every week. He'd bet on something, most a lot of college football, and he'd always bet on either you know uh, alcohol at those days. Now it'd be drugs or a girlfriend issue. Mm. You know, if he knew something was going on with the guy, he knew his performance would be changed. Would be off. And yeah, he was always looking for that. But he would he would um, what I was trying to talk about. They he we always he he's kind of taught me a different way of of betting and and understanding how you look at bets. You know, from what perspective. And a lot of times, um, one of the things we talk about is what the way that the odds are set up now is it's so unlikely that would come in. One of the things we're betting on now is golf a lot. Mm. We talk about golf betting because it's so new that there's sort of a, there's sort of some anomalies in there that you can take advantage of because the house isn't sure how to create that. Right. You're 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 taking advantage of the arbitrage opportunities right. where um, the, so I, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but. Um, obviously, for folks out there, Vegas isn't necessarily trying to accurately predict games. What they're trying to do when they set a line is to get half of you to bet on side A and half of you to bet on side B, because then they're guaranteed to make money off their VIG, right? So and that's correct. So that's all. So if they see a lot of money going on one side, they're going to shift the odds, regardless of who they think is going to win and by how much just to entice people to take the opposite position. So, yeah. so um, that's one fallacy. But what they have done to your point is they've learned and they hire the best data scientists in the world, you know, um, they've learned where to put it right where they want to break it 50, 50. It's very rare. Right. So you do have to find for things like MMA when it first became popular, if you were an insider in MMA, you would probably do very well versus the Vegas lines because they were not aware of how to price it yet. 
Uh, I'm sure golf NASCAR was probably the same way. Um, I know a lot of folks in DFS NASCAR who were doing very well at that initially. Um, but eventually catches up to you. You're right. So unless pickleball all of a sudden becomes something you could bet on uh, where I'm sure there's arbitrage in that. Um, Are you I'm a pickleball not, player? I am not. I'm just fascinated by the name pickleball. Right. I think it's so, <laughs> but again, it's one of those things where it's like where millions of people used to play rotisserie mm-hmm. baseball, understanding maybe the concept of a four by four league or a five by five, right. but not understanding how the name got its name, which was really just a restaurant that they met at when they drafted. Right. In New York. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of funny, but yeah, the pickleball is the same thing. It's such a bizarre name, but you're right. And one thing I wanted to tell you, I only have a couple more minutes, yeah. but one thing I wanted to share is to your, to your listeners about betting is what we're finding is there are the bets that I would not do nowadays. I think our best bet, and I wager on football. I love mm-hmm. to, I enjoy it. It it's, makes the game more enjoyable. We can, we can go on another show and we could talk about how, how smaller the league would be if they didn't have fantasy sports and, and, sure. and gambling, it would go Absolutely. down dramatically. I agree. Let's say that they just rolled, Hey, there's no more betting on NFL. There's no more betting on no more fantasy sports. The league's viewership would go down. I'd say at least 35 or 40%. It'd be the, dramatic. The red zone channel was created specifically for fantasy football players. Yeah, it would I, be dramatic. No doubt. Yeah, you couldn't, you right. wouldn't even believe how much it would change. And so these are a big part. The NFL knows it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say there, there are these new companies, sports data companies. Um, there's one that's actually a publicly traded company, not a great investment right now. It's called Sports Radar. But mm-hmm. essentially what they're doing is they're giving um, analytics to a lot of these companies like DraftKings and FanDuel, right. BetMGM, for a lot of their in-game live betting, which I think is not going to be in your best odds. Because I think our best odds as a wager or a person who wagers, and my friend doesn't like gambling, he likes wagering because he thinks that shows that's more scientific, the wager. Right. More sophisticated. I'm, I'm betting on something with some knowledge. That's right, what he's right, saying. Right. But but the but in, that in game is the advantage of the house because mm. our best bet is maybe having some analytics going into the game, knowing a right. team might come in flat, knowing a team's on a roll, knowing something like that. Once you get that in game data, they have so much more data to evaluate a bet than you're going to be able to do in your mind. Those are not. I don't see those as good bets. I do not do it. One thing I noticed though that's funny is in the NBA, I've done some wagering. When you get when you get up now to a certain level, if you get a team getting points, like I I had bet the Bucks, I had bet the Bulls one in one of the early games against the Bucks. The Bulls were blowing them out, and I was getting like thirteen. I think at the time the bet I was up by thirty one. Well, at halftime they offered me eighty percent of the buy to cash out, mm. and I took it because I figured why not take that? Who knows what's going to happen in the game? But that's a new thing that they're doing now that you never that they never had before, which is I- kind of a cool. Yeah, I don't know if you've had that experience yet. I was going to mention that the in-game live betting to me is less a, this is how I'm going to win some wagers, as opposed to hedging the bet of the wagers you already made. That's a, that's so, a good way to look at it. Uh, yeah, I view it as a pure hedge. Um, I bet the NBA finals this year uh, pretty consistently. And uh, my favorite bet, of course, was taking the Warriors to win the third quarter. Um, but by stacking bets as the series went on to see who would win in an exact series, I ended up doing very well because, you know, the odds would swing immediately after, you know, um, say after the Warriors lost game uh, one. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, the Celtics are the favorites to win the series. Right. And that was a good bet. I had um, I had. I did really well in the NBA. I think that the house probably lost because it seemed like if you really watched it and it was such a great series to watch Mm -hmm. and you got the flow of what was happening in those games, you knew, and and I made my mistake was I really thought the Warriors were going to win game six 
Um, and I was waiting for seven to make a larger bet on, I mean, I really thought the, you know, the Bucks the would win game six. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Celtics and go back to Golden State for game seven. Um, if, but if you really saw the flow of that series by like game three or four, Clay started playing better. And you had the other, uh, what's the other young guy who's the great? Wiggins. Wiggins. Poole, Poole, well, Wiggins played great. Yeah. But Poole actually started coming on in game four. And, five, and, you and, see, and Peyton came in for that defensive. Yeah. And then down, Draymond, so. when he started scoring, when he had 10 points or in game five or something, right. then you were like, oh, it's over. There's too it's much. It's over. Yeah, exactly. Too many guys. Because, yeah. you know, Celtics, their, their offense was kind of muddied or slow. It didn't seem like they were up to the challenge after it. You know, they were really physical. They put them on their butts a lot. It was a physical yeah. series. But they looked t- in some of those games. I think you know Tatum looked tired. Well, they did go through two two rough series. Uh, yeah, they did go yeah. seven with the Bucks. They went seven with the Heat, and they do play a physical brand of basketball. So that's why, yeah, I, I had the Warriors the whole way, and I was able to take advantage of those shifting odds. Uh, so NBA was good. But Jeffrey, listen, I know your time is limited. I want to thank you for joining us today. Please tell us about your podcast. And, oh yeah, so uh, I do and, a, pod, a bunch couples, of fun. I yeah. have a company called IBet Networks where we talk about wagering. And I also have a stock podcast called Stock Smart. And you know, if your if your listeners are interested in my fund, I have a fund in sports betting and gambling that's that's on traded on Nasdaq. It's called iBet. It's I B E T sports betting and gaming ETF. And we have about thirty eight holdings that represent you know the cager in this industry, which should be twelve to fifteen percent over the next four or five years. And John, thanks for having me. Having me, I really appreciate it. Love to come on again and talk more fantasy sports and sports in general. Absolutely, Jeffrey. We'd love to have you back. And maybe when you have some more time, we could get a little bit more into the history of of the old days and uh, yeah, where you see to. where you fun. see the market heading. So I really appreciate you joining everyone. Uh, Jeffrey Camus, uh, originally of Doc Sports, and now he's all invested in the high finance. So uh, check out his podcast, and we'll see you next time right here on the Big Questions with Big John. Thanks, John.